The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Let me invite you to open with me to the book of James. If you would, please uh, stretch out your hands for a Bible, whether one that you have brought from home, or if you need a Bible, there's one there in front of you in the pew rack, the blue Bible. And let's open up to James and chapter 5. James 5, this short little book of uh, wise, practical instruction. Uh, We have been in the book of James together since the second week of January. Since the second week of January, and uh, today we conclude chapter 5 in verses 19 and 20, ending here in the first week of September. And we have uh, spent this time, and I hope for you it's been uh, helpful, encouraging, challenging, convicting, because in five chapters, James has a lot to say. Uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, he has a lot of wisdom through the Spirit to share uh, with us. And what we're going to find this morning as he concludes his letter is that uh, his conclusion is totally unlike uh, all the other letters in the New Testament. It is very unique, and uh, in that sense, it's worth uh, our special attention given to it uh, as a very challenging word here at the conclusion of James chapter 5. So if you've got your Bible open there to James chapter 5, we're ready to read God's word. But let's first pray and ask his blessing upon his word that we might hear it. Let's pray together. Our great God, as we turn now in uh, this final section to the book of James, we pray that your spirit that so moved James to give these words to us might rest upon our hearts and minds to receive them, to receive them with humility and with grace. Lord, teach us your word this morning, for we long to hear it. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, friends, hear God's word from James in chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if... Anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. So let me encourage you to keep your Bible open there because we'll be looking back at a few things uh, throughout this letter as we unpack this conclusion, which again is uh, somewhat unique, uh, unlike all the other letters in the New Testament. There's usually what you would expect as you read through other letters in the New Testament is that you find some sort of benediction, some kind of closing word uh, as you write emails to each other or uh, you know, any other form of communication. There's some kind of closing, uh, greeting, grace to you, peace, sincerely, whatever the case might be. James doesn't have anything like that, which is unique because this letter that is so full of so much 
uh, instructions, so many commands. The reason why people love the book of James so much is that it is so practical, so down-to-earth, nitty-gritty, meat and potatoes in terms of the basics of the Christian life and how to navigate it. Here at the end, he kind of also concludes with more commands, more application, more implication as if to say, all the things that I've written to you, all these details that you've seen throughout this, now I want to say, continue to walk in it. So James is, we've called this study, Faith That Works, because James wants our Christian faith to be something that doesn't just rattle around in our head and become pointless just for the sake of knowledge. He doesn't want us to just store our faith in our heart and not have it make a difference. James wants our faith to transform our life and every aspect of our life. And now here at the end, he's saying, now that I've written these things to you, now that I've sought to apply this truth to so many aspects of your life, now be concerned not just with the way you walk in this, but also with the way the community walks in this as well, the faith community, the church. So James has in mind both me individually as a person and all others as well in the faith community. So he's, he's writing to you and applying to all here at the very end. Faith that functions. And really what this is is an application of this whole letter. Turn back actually into chapter 1 and remind yourself that what James is so interested in is encouraging us in our path on the Christian life to walk in a way that is worthy of Christ. And look back into chapter 1 and verse 22, which is a famous thing that James writes that people perhaps uh, often remember. Chapter 1, verse 22, where he says, uh, Be doers of the word and not just hearers which is an immediate application to everyone who hears God's word, isn't it? This, this Bible that we teach, this Bible that we read, is something that is not just supposed to go in one ear and out the other, but is actually supposed to do something and to transform our lives. Don't just hear it, but do it. And all through this letter, he's been applying it. In chapter 1, we were learning about how we're supposed to respond to, to temptation and to trials and how we make sense of what God is doing when we find ourselves in seasons of trial and temptation. In chapter 2, he was looking to apply how the gospel is supposed to change the way we look at people so that we don't show partiality to them based off of uh, cultural things, whether, uh, you know, how much money they have or how much status they have, how many friends they have or anything like that. We don't show partiality. That's what James was getting at in chapter 2. In chapter 3, he was seeking to apply doing the word in terms of how we use our tongue, which was a very memorable section of James's little book where he talks about the fact that this tongue that's in our mouth, that's a small part of our body, but it can get us in a world of trouble with how we use it or misuse it. He was seeking to encourage us to do and apply God's word with how we speak. In chapter 4, he was getting to this issues of uh, humility and obedience and seeking to uh, be faithful and, and move away from the influence of the world around us and move towards Christ in humility and obedience. And then in chapter 5, he was talking about not just trials, but particular trials of suffering. How do we apply Christian principles when we find ourselves in situations not just that are difficult, but that we really find ourselves suffering in? 
So whether, whether you were here for some of those or for all of them or for none of them, go back through James and remind yourselves of all the ways he's wanting to apply the Christian faith to us in very practical ways. But now as he closes in chapter 19 and verse 19 and 20, what he's going to do is as you're growing in all these things, as you're pursuing all these things, as you're seeking to be steadfast and faithful in your trials and sufferings, as you're seeking to apply Christian wisdom to the use of your tongue, be concerned not just with your own growth, but with those in the community of faith around you as well. So I think we can just see verses 19 and 20 under two headings. You see that on the the brief outline there that's in your bulletin insert. In verse 19, wandering. And then in verse 20, wondering. Wandering and wondering. Now we can acknowledge that this is a challenging text, but we want to understand what James is saying because it's, it's quite personal to us. And uh, oftentimes things like this rest on us and our first reaction is to kind of push against it a little bit. So we want to understand what he's saying. So first of all, wandering. Notice in verse 19 that he is continuing, as he has throughout this whole letter, referring to his uh, recipients as brothers. uh, And by implication, sisters, the family of faith, my brothers, if anyone among you... If anyone among you, he's speaking, of course, to the church, the church that is to think of themselves as a community of faith, a a covenantal body, a family. The the idea of family is very uh, important throughout the New Testament as the church is spoken of, the body of Christ. And so I think we should be reminded here, first of all, that there is a part of being a part of Christ's church that brings about it a sense of responsibility as it relates to both ourselves and to one another. My brothers, if anyone among you, don't you, don't you love the emphasis, I think, of the, the beauty and the nature of the church as a community? You stop to think about this for a second is, is, is do, we, do we know each other? Do we, do we care for each other in this sincere way that reflects the nature of a family as a church community in such a way that James can write to us in this way, brothers, if anyone among you, do we, do we know each other? But he's addressing this particular issue that we're going to get to here because his concern is not just that, that all is going well, but what happens when something is not going well and we find that people are wandering is this subject that he's interested in. If anyone among you wanders from the truth. And quickly, two other things to look back into James here is that for James, there is this, there's this consideration, this presupposition, this understanding that the Christian life is to be of a certain moral character and disposition of life that guides us in this direction that James is wanting to move us toward. A life that reflects the life of Christ, and as we take the name of Christ upon ourselves, we are to reflect Christ in our life, and he doesn't want us to stray away from that, because for James, living as a Christian is also, he would say, living in the truth. If you look back in chapter 1 and verse 18, he talks about the fact that our Christian life, chapter 1, verse 18, that our Christian life is something that is brought forth by God from the word of truth. So the emphasis on truth and the beginning of our Christian life being brought about by the word of truth. And then in chapter 3, verse 
14, one of his bits of counsel here is that we be those who not deny the truth. And so the truth is, a, is an element of the Christian life by which we are measured as knowing the truth, living the truth, pursuing the truth. Jesus is, of course, the truth. But James' point here is that we are to be people in the body of Christ who know the truth and live in the truth. And the implication of this letter is that we should be those who are doing that in a sincere way. James wants us to stop and consider and evaluate our lives, but also to care about the lives of others. And here's the the big aspect of what he's speaking of. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, wandering from the truth. You know, we sing that hymn, and that's a line I hope uh, that we think of, prone to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. James is here talking about Wandering, And this is a very interesting word. And uh, actually the, the root of it helps us understand a little bit of it. This word for wander is actually where we get our English word for planet. It's the word planeo, which means wander. And so the ancients uh, thought of the planets as just floating around, wandering in space. To wander around. The word could also mean to go astray. And it's also the word that we use to describe apostasy going outside the faith. It's used to describe oftentimes physical wanderings, but most of the time in the scriptures, it's used to describe uh, being in a state of distance from the truth, to wander away from the path of Christ, to wander away from the truth. And that's how James is using it here. So we can conclude from this that in the first century when James is writing this, think about the fact that James is writing to people who would have probably seen the Lord Jesus with their own eyes. They would have experienced his physical presence in terms of knowing him. And in the first century, it was still a concern that there were those who would have seen Jesus and then concluded after all that he's not worth their time. Or that following Jesus isn't actually good for them? If it's possible that in the first century when people would have seen and known Jesus and then decided to wander away, surely it's possible that it's still true today, right? James is describing the state of wandering away from Jesus. It's a very simple concept, and it might seem strange and abrupt here at the end of the letter, but he's so concerned that this truth be applied to our lives that he is also saying not just your life, but also the the lives of those among the church community and those that you love, those who wander. And the way the Bible talks about this, I think, is something of great concern for us because oftentimes... Uh, the, 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 the state of wandering away is not something that happens so dramatically in one instance and then suddenly someone's decided to walk away and I'm, I'm done with the church and I don't want anything to do with Jesus anymore and I'm gone. But it's usually something that happens uh, slowly. What was once a, a great concern then becomes something of casual indifference. Casual indifference then turns to an inclination to, to not really walk on the path of Christ anymore. And then 
growing inclination to do so becomes then a stepping off the path, and a stepping off the path turns into a stepping onto other paths. And the way uh, Paul describes it elsewhere in the New Testament, it is as kind of a, a, a slow fade as we wander away. And James is here saying, don't, don't let this happen among yourselves. Those who are, those who are wandering away, don't, don't let them go uncared for. Don't let them go unloved or even unwarned. He's saying, stay on the path yourself, but also those other people, don't let them walk away either. He's actually saying the same thing that the book of Hebrews says in chapter 3 and verse 13, where it says, don't let anyone among yourselves be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is very clear, practical instruction, and again, it almost catches us off guard. But he's saying, if you care about what the difference of following Christ is to make in your life, shouldn't you also care about the difference that it's going to make in the lives of your loved ones, in the church community, in the church family, among your family? Don't let them wander away. You know, it's something about like a, uh, like a slow leak in a tire that doesn't go flat all at once. Nowadays, cars have indicators to show you that the pressure isn't right in your tire, and so it's a lot easier to know. But otherwise, you would never know unless you hear the small hiss or until the tire goes flat, and sometimes it's, it's too late. But James says, if you, if you have in your mind those who are wandering, don't let them just go. He's touching on this issue of care and compassion that oftentimes might be perceived as intrusive. Right? Because one of the greatest virtues of our world is our independence. And so therefore, when someone comes to speak to me in any type of way and I don't like what they have to say, I just I feel offended. And so I don't want to hear what they have to say because here's the problem. Most people who are wandering, and I'm sure uh, we could understand this, most people who are wandering are not passively waiting for you to come and address their wandering. They're not waiting with bated breath for you to come and talk to them about whatever thing is going on. Sheep don't wander and then turn around waiting for the shepherd to come after them. They wander further and further and further. But someone, someone has to go. It's likely one of the most difficult things. Uh, I've, I've had a couple of these conversations. It's hard. It's difficult. It's quite awkward oftentimes. But it's not an excuse to address matters of great concern. And there's actually nothing obtrusive or intrusive or, or overly offensive actually about genuine care coming alongside someone and saying, you know, I'm, I'm quite concerned about this. But it's all in the measure in which you do it. It's all in uh, how you, the words that you use, the tone that you say, your, your, your motivation for doing so. You notice the fact that this is everyone's responsibility as well. He says, my brothers, if anyone am among yourselves, this whole Christian community... Look back, actually, into verse uh, 14. Do you remember how James says if someone is especially sick and perhaps uh, uh, terribly ill, there to be uh, those who call the elders, call the elders to come and pray for this person. And you would think, perhaps, that if there's a, an issue inside the church and there's a concern, that James's counsel would also be call the elders and let them deal with it. But he doesn't say that here. If anyone among you, yourselves, us, the Christian community, and so... Oftentimes we think to ourselves, if there's a problem or there's a concern, and we say, you know, someone should do something about this. 
Someone should do something about this. Never, never concluding that I may be the someone to do something. And so as James is writing these words, it may be perhaps that you have maybe a time in your own life or someone else in your life that comes to mind. James is here instructing us to bring back those who are wandering with gentleness for the sake of restoration out of a loving concern for them. And be very clear about the fact that the New Testament doesn't affirm you policing one another. The New Testament is not concerned with us being uh, harsh, judgmental toward one another. Not, not at all. The concern here is out of a sake of love, bringing them back. One of my, one of my favorite ways that this manifests itself, and I'm kind of a, a, admitting maybe a, a, a pastor's is it even fair to call it a pet peeve? When someone comes to say, hey, we haven't seen so-and-so in a while. And my question usually is going to be, well, did you call them? What are coming to me? You, you go call them. No. James is talking about exercising a mutual concern for one another that exercises compassion to say, let us love one another and keep each other close so that we do not wander into danger. The good news here about all of this is that this is exercised in a way for the sake of, verse 20, bringing them back from wandering to save their soul from death and covering a multitude of sins. This threatening end, I think, is really full of good news and is actually not so threatening because it's full of encouragement because James is here assuming that someone has wandered, has been brought back, gently restored out of love, and there is a mutual walking together again in the truth. We think about the Lord Jesus who, we're told, leaves the 99 to go and find the one who has enough interest, who has enough compassion, who has enough concern to leave what he is doing and go after the one who is wandering, that he takes delight in those who come back. And notice that James says that God uses the instrumentality of our willing obedience to deliver from death. Whoever, verse 20, brings back a sinner. It may be that God is going to use your willing obedience to have an awkward conversation, to be the means that really helps someone come back to a place where they used to be or long to get to again. It may be that God will use your willing obedience to be the means to deliver someone from death, James says. It's quite severe. But we should wonder here that there's a great promise. We, we wonder, we, we take delight in the promise that, that God extends grace to all those who wander. And so I think there's just two questions here that we should think of then. And the first one's quite obvious. It jumps right off. The first question is, is do, do you know someone who is wandering? Do you know someone who is wandering? You know, something about being a part of the church and uh, taking church membership vows to, to care for one another and promote the peace, unity, and purity of the church is such that we have mutual obligations to one another as family. 
And sometimes it may seem that being a part of a family brings with it some inconveniences when I want my freedom to go my own way. But family is given to care for and protect us. Do you know someone who is wandering, who finds themselves far from Christ for whatever reason, and uh, maybe the Lord is pressing that person upon your mind in such a way that God intends to use you to care for that person by putting an arm around them and saying, we miss you and we have concern and we want to be there for you. Is there something that I can do for you? Can I pray for you in some way? How can I serve you? Let me, let me give myself to you out of, out of concern. And, and maybe they'll receive that. Maybe God will use that to deliver them. Maybe they'll shut the door in your face and scream at you. I've had that happen to me too. But is God pressing someone upon your mind? Do you know someone who is wandering? But I think maybe even the more important question is, am I the wanderer? Am I, am I the wanderer? I'm, I'm physically here, but I'm spiritually distant for, for whatever reason, for whatever circumstance or situation that I find myself in, spiritually wandering. I think James would say to us that we have all wandered, We have all wandered, but that Jesus Christ loves to pursue the wanderers. He loves to find those who find themselves lost. And so if what James is saying here at the end of this letter, which seems to go in such a different direction this whole time that he's been going, but if what James is saying here in verses 19 and 20, if it strikes your heart and if it strikes your conscience in such a way that you perceive yourself to be further from Jesus than you want to be, further than you have been in the past and long to come back, if it strikes your heart in that way, it's a reason to rejoice because that means that you are not too far to hear his voice calling to you to come back. Christ loves the wanderer. Jesus says, return to me. And there is no better time to remember that than when we observe the Lord's Supper where he is saying to you by by means of bread and cup, return to me. I am your Savior and we say to him, to you, Lord, and none other do I give my trust. And I've put there at the bottom of that hand out words from the great Scottish hymn writer Horatius Bonner, something that I think is worth quiet reflection as we prepare for the Lord's Supper and sing. He writes this hymn in reflection of the Lord's Supper, and he writes, Hear, O my Lord, I see thee face to face. Here faith can touch and handle things unseen. Here would I grasp with firmer hand thy grace and all my weariness upon thee lean. Jesus calls us to lean our weariness upon him as we come to him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the book of James and for all that it teaches us. And even here, Lord, we hear the call to follow Christ more sincerely, more faithfully, with more obedience than we have in the past to be restored ourselves and to restore others who need to be reminded of the call of Christ. So Lord, help us 
and by your grace lead us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.